0: Hi, I'm Sophie-Marie Odom, Lifestyle Magazine's editor.
1: And I'm Samantha Renk, broadcaster and disability rights campaigner. And a very warm welcome to the Motability Lifestyle Pod. In this podcast, we invite our friends from the disability community into the studio for a conversation on how we can all live our best life, particularly when navigating a disabling world.
0: Today, we are joined by the comedian and model Fats Timbo. With over 2.9 million fans on TikTok, she uses her platform to spread laughter and educate people on questions around
1: disability. We love her. Don't we? Very excited. Very. Hi Sam. Hello my darling. How are you? I've got man flu which basically means I've got a tiny little cold but I'm reacting in a really diva overdramatic way so I'm doing my best if I start sneezing you just have to like excuse it. How are you? Tell me what is good in the news today? What should we be thankful for? What is bringing us joy?
0: So our first reason to be cheerful is that British sign language users and scientists have created 200 new signs for common environmental terms. So it's hoped that This will make climate and biodiversity science much more accessible for deaf people and could enable deaf people to attend global climate and biodiversity summits and participate in discussions. So at the moment, there's 200 signs for terms like biodiversity, global warming, etc. But by the end of the project, the team hopes that they would have developed more than 400 signs. So this will be themed around energy, sustainability and the impact of environmental change on humans and will include signs for global warming, carbon neutral and deforestation
1: I love that I mean I think this should be happening as standard anyway I think BSL I, I learned BSL at night school I can only do my level one my two favorite signs were drunk which is like you put your two little uh, fingers on your palm and wiggle it around like a drunk person I found that fascinating and also tired so I always used to think of myself it's like your boob is falling off you put your hand there and go tired tired but I loved it and I I, oh, I feel really disappointed that the UK in particular still doesn't have BSL as standard on news reports or, you know, just, just in, in the national curriculum. I mean, as someone who used to teach children languages and a lot of children with intellectual disabilities as well, you know, I actually amalgamated BSL into my learning because a lot of the kids were visual learners, were kinesthetic learners, and it's such a beautiful expression and a lot of my deaf friends have taught me so much and I and I think that it's a huge injustice in the UK that we are not giving more space to the deaf community so this is absolutely incredible
0: very welcome news and it's just making climate change conversations just much more accessible because in the past they haven't been and disabled people and deaf people and neurodivergent people have felt left out of conversation so it's nice that there's actually like a space now to involve deaf people and that they can actually attend Mm -hmm. summits where big decisions are made that affect everybody
1: and you know it's a bit of a cliche and you don't want to kind of say that everyone who's part of the community is you know forward thinking but I would say that most of my deaf disabled and neurodivergent friends like we do have to think outside of the box and like when it comes to innovation we're probably the best people to get on board for these conversations because we see the world really really differently because I've got to preempt all, all the hurdles all the barriers and I think you know the deaf community is exactly the same and that can only be a positive when it comes to diversity and inclusion when we're talking about such serious um, matters on climate change so absolutely brilliant I just hope that this is something that sets the standard exactly. moving forward
0: I agree so for those who are interested a full glossary of science can be found on the Scottish sensory center website so on to our second reason to be cheerful Sam you actually shared this story on your Instagram, didn't you? From BBC yeah, News.
1: Yeah, I'm such a sucker for like a happy, a happy story. I love how that I, you know, you you just you take take inspiration. <laughs> of course, now, you inspire no, me. <laughs> not only when we're working together, but. In Just
0: general. out and about yes. in general. Of course do. <laughs> so Henrietta Onyema, she's from Bermondsey in London and she started offering food and other supplies after the food bank at her local church had to close. So initially she was using her own money um, to buy these food supplies for the local community. But now she receives donations from local people and supermarkets. This is a story from the BBC and she was quoted saying some of our neighbours are housebound. They don't really go out much and I knew they needed some help. So she stepped up to the plate mm-hmm. to offer the help. And it's just really, this story just comes at a really timely moment with the whole cost of living crisis Mm -hmm. and people not being able to afford, you know, Mm -hmm. basic necessities and having to turn to food banks. And a recent study by the Joseph Roundtree Foundation found that almost eight out of 10 Londoners on low income are skipping meals or going without essentials. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, it's amazing that women like Henrietta or people like Henrietta are out there just serving the community I mean, she
1: is a, an absolute character she actually made me cry a little bit when I watched because I think she I mean I'm, I'm paraphrasing here but I think she said you know if you have what you need and you have more like surplus then why not and that's a very you know Christian values and and that's something that I would definitely say that I live my life by I come from a working class um, background um, when my dad passed away that meant that we, we didn't have a lot, but I've always, you know, I'm not trying to virtue signal here, but I've always really enjoyed. I'm a gift giver to begin with. That's definitely my German blood. Like I like gift giving, but I think, you know, when you actually take stock of what you do have, it's like, well, yeah, do I need X amount of this on another level? You know, just being able to I always compliment people on their outfits or randomers in the street. And it's really funny because in London, most people have their headphones in and just block out anyone in existence, you know. But I kind of force myself onto people a little bit. I'm like, hi. But I will say to people, oh my God, beautiful dress. And you can just tell that that lifts people, you know. And I think that kindness costs nothing. I agree.
0: I'm pleased to introduce today's guest. Joining us is content creator, model, comedian, educator, and author Fats Timbo. She pulls no punches in her comedy, finding fun in her life and the world around her. She decided to share her top tips for confidence, and earlier this year, she released her first book, Main Character Energy 10 Commandments for Living Life Fearlessly. That's Timbo. Great to have you on the Motability pod. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I've personally watched your journey, which has been phenomenal. Um, so let's start at the very beginning. You're a model, also working in finance and went on the show Undateables. Tell us about that. How was that experience? Because, I mean, you mentioned in your book that when you were asked, you didn't know whether to laugh or to cry.
2: Yeah, I didn't know whether to laugh or to cry but. Thank you so much for following my journey. I really appreciate (laughs) that. It means a lot. Um, To be honest with you, I'd never done anything like that before in terms of going on TV. And it was super scary and super daunting. I was thinking about what are people going to say? What are people going to think? You know, going on a show called The Undateables, that's what I might be called the rest of my life. So, That's the reason why I initially said no to it. And a couple months later, I was thinking about it and I was thinking, actually, if I think about the bigger picture, it's about the message I'm going to put across and the representation I'll be giving to people. And that's when I made the decision to call them back. I just thought, okay, what's the worst that could happen? And I think from there it kind of helps me recognize that I could represent for the underrepresented, going on these shows and um, being on social media and doing what I do in terms of dancing, comedy, all that stuff. It kind of was that stepping stone for me, so I'm quite thankful for it actually.
1: I I love that because I have spoken. Hi, it's Samantha by the way, Hi, and Sam. I am. Full- Hiya, baby. All right. I've started reading your book, actually, but I'm waiting for um, a beach holiday um, to actually dive (laughs) right into it. So bear with me. No worries. Um, I've spoken a lot about The Undatables, and it was, it came out very, very close to when I first moved to London. And I, very probably very similar to you, I got onundated with messages on Instagram, like from producers going, do you want to be part of this show called The Undatables? And it was very much at the beginning of my journey into TV work, but also my campaign work. And, you know, the elephant in the room, obviously, was the title. And I kind of really, I really dug my heels in. and I was like... You know, this is not appropriate and I think it's amazing that you have a completely different narrative and I think that's great that you are flying the flag for how you experience that. But I, I have to say I think a lot goes for the person that you are and the fact that you are incredibly tenacious and the fact that you are, you know, a go getter in life. Um, can I say very similar to myself? Um, you know, that we we can make we can make a any situation work in our favour. And I think, you know, I'm so grateful that you you had that positive experience but i think still why i feel uneasy about shows like this and we spoke about the you know down with uh, down with da- dating on netflix yes. last episode the problem i still have and, and and i'd love to hear your thoughts on it i sometimes feel like we as a society we are not in a place where everyone can watch a show like that or the majority of people can watch a show like that and have a nuanced, respectful, non-ableist approach when watching it.
2: No, I know what you mean. I did I yeah. did speak about this in The Guardian, um, mm. uh, specifically down for love. But mm-hmm. my problem is I just hate that society kind of still looks at disabled people in the sense that, oh, I pity them. With these dating shows, you know, kind of thing. But I did highlight as well that it is educational as well. Um, there is people with nuances that want to learn about people with disabilities. So there is a plus side to it, but there is a downside because we're still othered in society. You know, as you were saying before, the the continuous discrimination that we face every single day. I just feel like now I'm at a point where it still hurts me because obviously I can't erase it, I can't escape it. I can't just put a magic cloak on and be invisible to it. But that's why I think it's so important we do what we do every day, educate people, bring awareness. We talk about our lived experience so that average high people don't think. So they think about how to treat us basically and um, through my comedy I love to do it in a way where it's like I'm making fun out of them and then they can see themselves in that and then not do it to the next person that's my way of doing it and I think it definitely works well and I think that's why a lot of people respond to it well. And I love
0: that you've used your platform as just a way to to highlight and shine a light on issues within society yes and but looking at talking about after the show so your presence grew and as well as a content creator like you said you became a comedian um obviously a model and now an author congratulations but which is your favorite title or (laughs) title that means the most to you
2: to be honest with you a lot of people would think i would say comedian but i would say author because people really get to know the crux the, the meat and bones and crux of me where I explain about my sister and my sisters I should say and w- what got me to where I am today I think watching a 15 second clip and then people moving on yeah they like it at the time but I think people really reading and spending time getting to know my story it means so much to me and the fact that You know, I've written a whole book. I'm still shocked to this day that I have a book.
0: (laughs) It's amazing. It's such an achievement. I mean, well done. Main character energy. Um What I loved about the book as well is that it offers readers, like it allows readers to get involved. Like you actually give like a point, like a place for readers to actually write their goals or what to do next or how they should a- approach a situation. It, it just allows the reader to get more involved rather than just read it and it just stay on the surface level. yes actually take those lessons on board.
2: That's um, it. I've, I found that really important to kind of implement something like that because in my social media, I find it so important when people engage with me. So I just thought in my book, I need something like that and I'm glad uh, people have responded to it well and actually writing things in there and I'm like yes it's It's like journaling (laughs) isn't it yeah it's like journaling I love journaling Yeah.
1: yeah and I think you know very similar you know when I wrote my book it was very cathartic and I actually learned a lot about my own disability identity and it kind of like opened a lot of it opened Pandora's box. Some of it was good, some of it was bad. But have you had that kind of same um, enlightening experience? Because writing it myself, I was like, in, I was crying sometimes because I was like, transported back to seven year old smother. I was oh like, it wasn't God. your tell
2: fault. Me, tell <laughs> me about it. Honestly, it's like, you know, when you're just delving into things that you haven't even unpacked mm-hmm. as an adult, and I have to explain it in a book. It's it's like just revisiting, like you just said, like you're revisiting your old self, but I knew that it was necessary to speak about these things because that's what I've gone through, that's me. Just because I have to unpack all of these things doesn't mean that I shouldn't write it, you know? Um, But it was hard. It was definitely hard doing that, but it was necessary at the same time
1: you you've touched upon comedy and it obviously plays still a really big part of, in your life. And I think for... For many disabled people, comedy can be a way of deflecting all that negativity, all that ableism, and I've definitely used it as a shield. You know, uh, when people make comments about I'm I'm a power chair user, and they go, "Oh, you know, I've got a driving license for that." It's like, "Oh, there that we go." Old, that joke is uh, so that, old, I, uh, <laughs> but it's but it's normally I'm so uh, annoying. It's, it's normally a certain certain demographic in there. It? It's like, <laughs> but um, you know, I I have used it particularly. I don't know again. I feel like we're very similar in many, many ways. Like I would enter a space, whether that's a party or a working environment, and no one would necessarily come up to me and, and introduce themselves. They do now because they're like, "Oh, you're on the telly." But prior to that, you know, it would always be me that would have to instigate the conversations. I remember once, really? I was, yeah, I remember once I went on um, a bus and in London, the buses. Thank goodness they don't do it anymore. When you press the ramp, it used to go wheelchair on board. Yeah, wheelchair I, know, I know. On board. I, I, remember. I, I remember, Honestly, uh, I got on it at seven o'clock in the morning. It was absolutely rammed, central London. Um, and this, like, you know, I, raining. I, I and it, I, I got I, on, I went, morning! Like, really loud <laughs> to everybody. <laughs> And I and you know I, I I would say that you're a you're naturally comedic you're naturally a bubbly character but does it ever get to a point where you're like ah oh, do you know what it's I, I can't I can't pander to your uncomfortability or your ignorance anymore
2: do you know what I think I still kind of have this I have this thing where because you know how you said like you be bubbly to people and for me I used to wait for people to talk to me. And if people don't talk to me, that is fine. I'll be isolated in my corner. But I'm trying my best to change that. I think over the years, I've gotten better at it and just speaking to people and just not having any worries. Because I used to think people stare at me, yes, but how are they going to react when I come up to them and speak to them? Oh my God, that's my worst fear. That's what I used to think. So I try my best to just change that kind of mindset with it because in college, in university, I was kind of isolated and I do wanna um not be that person. I've realized if I do that, then I'm not gonna be able to talk to people. I'm not gonna be able to tell people that it's okay to be little. I'm just I'm literally just little. I just have smaller bones. Yeah. So um it's all about teaching the people around me, people on social media that as well as showing myself, but I'm representing for people that are little. As Soon as they look at me, they always look referring to someone else that's little as well. So I always have that in mind.
1: I normally end up that, with that conversation being, you know, I'm only little, I'm only wheelchair user. I am an absolute douchebag, but oh, that's, <laughs> a <different, laughs> that's a different kettle of fish for another day. Now, let's talk about something that is very dear to my own heart, fashion. I am, I am a self-proclaimed fashionista and yes, I was it's... absolutely blown away by, first of all, the dress. That I saw you wearing because you featured in May's issue of British Vogue. So this was um, a collaborative um, piece from Vogue through Tilting the Lens, obviously with Sinead Burke, and it was reframing fashion. And it featured, I believe, 19 disabled people uh, from all different um, creative industries, so fashion, sport, activism, and the arts. Um, I actually went around lots of different shops to try and get all (laughs) the different covers. Of the um, of the the edition of oh just because I want them all over my um, my office when I re re redo my office so how was that I mean I'm not gonna lie a little bit jealous I was a bit like <laughs> wow I mean that, did you get to keep the dress that's my first
2: question I did <gasps> I did can I borrow it <laughs> you, you can if you want you can it's an amazing dress um but honestly I think I collapsed when they asked me because mm-hmm. I was just like me doing Vogue when I first started modeling and started doing it more I was like do you know what one day I'm like, do Vogue <laughs> I literally said that I was like one day I might do Vogue I mean I like to say far-fetched things just to see if it happens and it <laughs> did happen in just a few years like it was insane the people that I worked with like Sinead so thankful because it just opened my eyes to what's possible and what change we are making. We're like we're the ultimate change makers and getting involved with Vogue and just showing people that yes, we're disabled, but we can look good. It's it's just normalizing it. That's all I want in life. Like normalizing disabilities. That's it. And that's what Vogue helped me do. And oh still shocking that I did it.
0: I can imagine that you just like still wake up and think, I did Vogue. I did Vogue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's beautiful how you spoke it into existence. Like That's just amazing. I, I literally
2: did. I spoke it into existence. I did it in a way where I, I said, yeah, one day I'll do Vogue. And there was like a Vogue challenge on TikTok as well. I got involved in that Vogue challenge and I ended up doing Vogue. What's a Vogue challenge? So it was, what was it? So, during the pandemic, everyone was just getting pictures of whatever. I'd just put in Vogue on top. Yeah. So, they called it the Vogue Challenge. Yeah. And at the time, I just used one of my old modelling pictures. And I was wearing white as well. <gasps> so, that's that's what a coincidence. Yes. Um, yeah. And then a few years later, I actually did Vogue. The- oh, I
0: bet your dinner. family
2: were so proud, your family and friends. They were so shocked they were so shocked my mum was like wow I got a book <laughs> model in my house so I was like "Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah mum yeah
1: that's
2: that's you, you made
0: it you made it yes um, so to, you mentioned earlier about how you sort of used to isolate yourself but obviously fast forward to today like your confidence just seems astronomical um, would you agree that confidence is a journey and not a destination That like you're always working it's to be confident
2: always I always refer it to a muscle if you keep If you keep working that muscle, it'll get stronger. If you stop working that muscle, it'll get weaker. Mm. Um, And that's how you have to see confidence. I wouldn't say you're always going to be 100%, but as long as you're working on it, doing new things, breaking boundaries, your confidence will always grow.
1: Uh, there's probably going to be a lot of um, young disabled people listening to this podcast because we are down with the kids, clearly. Yes. Um, yes. And they may be thinking, okay, yeah, fair enough, easy said than done because you've done this and you, you've got that platform and and so on and so forth. And I think, you know, there is sometimes, and I'm very mindful of it every time I put anything out there, that disability looks and feels so different for everyone, whether that is because of your physical disability or whether that's you know because you don't have the right support package in place you know because things like that can be so subjective you know depending on where you live whether you you know you still live at home whether you want to try and move out and be independent you know or whether you're you're an ambulatory uh, wheelchair user there's so many variables and I think it's it can be quite challenging to go well I've done it so you know this is your, your role model so what advice would you give to to our community and to people who may, may look at you and go, okay, well, it worked for you, but I know it won't work for, for me.
2: It's true. I completely agree with you because everyone's got their own journeys. It's one of those things where I think if they have the su- right support network or if they don't, they need to find it in a counsellor or a therapist or teachers to, to help them with the mindset that they need. Reading books, oh my God, reading books was my stepping stone to to even thinking positively because before that I thought life was hell. I thought life was, why am I working? Why am I living? You know, I just thought um, I was in a very dark place and reading self-help books like The Secret, learning how to manifest with whatever is around you, whatever you have, it was something that was out of the ordinary. And I thought, okay, let me give it a try because I want to do anything to get out of this mindset. I want to do anything to get out of this state. So um, the subtle art of not giving an F. All those things can give you all these things that you might not have ever thought of or might not have ever like, had the tools to know about.
1: Even social media, though, like, what I always say is, you know, social media is free, you know, it's there, and it's something that you you can use and experiment and really feel for what what you feel comfortable with, and it connects you to so many people. I never really knew any disabled people before social media I mean a lot of that came from my own prejudice a lot of it came from my own internalized ableism where I was like "Ooh, disabled people I mean I'm happy with me but I don't really like I'm telling you I feel like
2: every disabled person has gone through this especially not having any representation Mm -hmm. to look up to and then when you actually do see it it's like I'm not one of them yeah Uh, excuse me (laughs) (laughs) When, when I look back and I think Oh my god, I can't I can't face a little person. I can't mm. see what? Mm. Like <laughs> it's crazy. And I think, yes, yeah, because of our own internalised ableism that has been put onto us. We this learned behaviour. So I'm so thankful for social media. I'm so thankful that when I have a child, if whether they're little or not, they're gonna be educated on what it's like to be a little person. They're going to have little people around. They're going to have a little person mum, you know. So it's way different to how we grew up.
0: I love that. Just the thought that you're just a role model. Yeah. So facts, we have a tradition going on where our previous guest asked um, a question to our next guest. So our previous guest asks you, um, whatever you're working on right now, what do you think makes it innovative? What makes
2: it innovative is... I don't want to give a lazy answer because it's me, but <laughs> I don't know. It can be because you. It's me. Because yeah. it's me, I have to think of innovative ways to do things, yeah. get things done, to partake in things. Mm-hmm.
1: So in the same scheme of things, have you got a question for our next guest?
2: I think I want to ask, what's the best parts? of having a disability. Because we love to talk about the negatives, that negativity that comes our way, but I love having a disability. I love being different now. I I I embrace it so much. Now people stare at me, yes, but I look good (laughs) while she's staring at me. (laughs) I look good, so it's fine.
0: Love i love that. that question and it's been such a pleasure fat thank you so much honestly keep being great and hopefully you'll come back and talk to us whether that be in the magazine or on the podcast again so yeah i'm just yes. keeping in touch i'll be booking in for
1: tiktok tutorials <laughs> from you yes, let me know what your hourly do. rate is my love i'll be I'll around let you know be around with the I'll carrot, you
2: know, carrot cake carrot cake and tea <laughs> That's not a so bad idea, actually. But I love a cheeky... I love a cheeky carrot <laughs> cake. I love a cheeky carrot <laughs> okay. cake. Yeah, see, I'll be knocking oh, on your yeah. door, my darling. Thank you so much, guys. It's Thank been you. a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. so much.
1: Take care, my lovely.
2: What time
1: is it, Sam? with <laughs> me. <laughs> 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 Trying to do Mariah Carey. I mean, the fact that I feel like the bottom of someone's shoe right now that was
3: impressive oh, i appreciate the effort
1: yeah i did it just for you matt <laughs> um so what are we with today
3: what are we today uh so we are talking about electric cars so we chatted recently with Catherine Maris, head of innovation at motability about the, the brilliant work they're doing in improving uh, accessibility around electric cars and electric car charging um but often when we're at events i get a lot of questions from people on the scheme who just don't I just not aware of the basics of electric cars, so we're just going to cover some of the sort of basics today, and a lot of some of the common questions I get that will hopefully at least make people feel like they can make an informed decision on whether or not they even want to start looking at electric cars. Um, so, for example, some of the things I get asked are things like. Oh, can you put an electric car for a car wash or can you plug it in to charge it while it's raining and things like that and you absolutely can like of course you can um but you know they're they're perfectly reasonable questions to ask if you don't know but yeah so I, i think i think the most important question to start with is can you charge at home um because that that changes things quite drastically so charging at home is the most cost effective way to run an electric car by some margin but it's also the most convenient right um one of the great things about the Motability Scheme is that they will cover the cost of a standard installation of, a, of an electric car charger at your house, which is really good because they they, they do cost a reasonable amount of money. So if you can get that for free, that's fantastic. Now, the reason they're cheaper is that, or obviously it just uses your home electricity tariff. Now, average electricity price in the UK, so, so people often ask me, how much does it cost to charge an electric car? And that's a really hard question to answer because how long is a piece of string? If you imagine a petrol car, And someone asked you that. Well, it would depend on how big the car's petrol tank is and it would depend how much the petrol station is selling fuel for, right? Um, So similar thing applies with electric cars. It depends on the cost of the electricity and it depends on how big the battery is in your car. So if you imagine average fuel prices in the UK at the moment are about uh, 34 pence per kilowatt hour uh, and a sort of normal size battery in an electric car is about 60 kilowatts, um, 60 kilowatt hours, I should say, Uh, then that brings you to about sort of 20 pounds to charge that. But, The bit where it gets interesting is if you can charge at home, lots of energy companies do special EV tariffs or they just have general tariffs where electricity is cheaper at night when demand is low. And it's usually quite substantially cheaper at that time. The
1: washing machine, isn't it? they say do your washing it at night
3: there you go it is, and it's exactly the same principle and that actually can drastically reduce the cost of running an electric car
1: can I play devil's advocate though <coughs> you absolutely can Um because all these things go through my mind I'm sure it will through other people's minds that's all handy dandy mm. if you've got a drive or you've it got is, yeah. but what if you live in a flat or a, or a terrace
3: Um so then I guess you'd be looking at charging your car using public chargers Motability does offer something where you can get a subscription to the BP Pulse Network so for people who can't charge at home instead you can you can have a a subscription to this network and that gives you a better rate on charging so it's probably still not it's not going to be as cheap as charging at home but it 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 helps out a little bit but yeah in an ideal world charging at home is just the cheapest and most convenient way to do it and unfortunately not everyone could do that so that is a shame if you don't do charge from home and you can get one of those ev tariffs you you can charge a car for as little as four pounds fifty very cheap that sounds
0: very cheap because you can fill in your tank -hmm. oh yeah Looking at mm. like hundreds, is that a <laughs> yeah. comparison. Is that a it,
1: yeah, that it sounds too good to so be okay, true. It's bad. No. I mean, yeah, I'm yeah. just yeah. like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. hard to
3: compare, but then uh, and, and prices do vary because, like I said, if you if you were to ch- if you didn't have one of those EV tariffs and you're using your normal energy tariff, it'd be more like say twenty pounds, yeah. which is suddenly not actually, you know yeah. suddenly yeah. a lot closer to, yeah. to putting your petrol or whatever in your car. Um, but yeah, it is cheaper, and I bear in mind a tank of fuel will take you further than two hundred yeah. miles, but not you know yeah. four
1: pound yeah. fifty. Yeah, exactly. Um, Can you overcharge? Like, can you over? So, should you let it run down quite substantially and then charge it up? Like, don't be topping it up even if you've, you know, it's gone down a little bit.
3: This is one of those things that that you know lots of people say different things and uh, and it's hard to actually work out how much of a difference it makes. But they do advise that you don't always charge it up if you don't need to. Like, rather than say because uh, as I sort of mentioned before in the podcast the average mi- average daily mileage in the UK is around 20 miles yeah. and if you think a car can do 200 or 300 miles that's only a very small percentage of the battery so what you don't really want to be doing is going out and just recharging every day from 95% to 100 95 yeah. to 100 it's
1: a fear though people still have fear Yeah, and they'll be like I need to do it, I need to do it just in case. Just in case. Again, I keep thinking about my power chair, but I'm like, when I get to 40%, I'm like, I've never been this low. I've never been this low. And I'm halfway up to Waitrose. What do I do? Turn back or just go and get the expensive cat food?
3: <laughs> no, that is re- range anxiety, that's called. But is that what uh, it is? Yeah, range anxiety is a, wow. is a thing in the, in the EV that's world. Me.
1: That's me a lot. So people You've been do diagnosed.
3: panic. Um, but yeah it, you know it's something you get used to once you've been driving them for a while you know you know what your car can do and and there are lots you know if you are out and about and you're low on battery there are lots of places you can charge your car in public that are very fast but we'll, uh, we'll we'll get to that in a moment but you can you can also actually if you're charging from home even if you don't have a home charger installed for whatever reason you can do uh, something called granny charging uh, using a granny charger uh, I, I thought there was some technical reason for this but apparently it's, it's just called a granny charger because it's a charge you'd use if you were visiting your gran for oh, I, like, I don't know why.
1: Bit of ageism here, yeah. what's going on?
3: Yeah, for some reason, it's known as granny charging, and that's where you can actually charge your car by plugging it into a normal three point socket. Oh, wow! House. But it's generally not advisable. going to say yeah. no. I like that takes. In, in, theory, in theory, it's safe, but I think. it does put a lot of pressure on your household electric so it's not always advisable. I think they generally recommend you don't unless you have to Um, and also it does take a long time as as Sam just asked. Um, Yeah, you're looking at about probably about 30, obviously it varies but you're looking at about 30 hours for like a kind of average size electric car the cost be the
0: same?
3: Yeah, it's still coming from your home electric. Same thing, yeah. Anyway, getting back to whether or not you should look at an electric car. Um, The next thing to think about is actually the the car itself and how you use your car and whether it would suit your needs. So, you know, do you go on a lot of long journeys and if so you want a car with a bigger battery if you mostly cover short journeys you could maybe um you know save a bit of money or, or be able to get a smaller lighter car that's that doesn't need a huge battery if you mostly just do, do journeys around town
0: i just had another question yeah. so if you live really remote or in a very yes. rural area that's something else you need to consider for getting an electric car don't Absolutely.
3: you mm-hmm. um so yeah that actually sort of brings me on to our next point actually which is to check the, the charging infrastructure around your area. So, you know, hopefully you could still charge a car at home. If you lived in a rural area, the chances are if you're rural, there's a larger chance that you've got off, off-road parking, which is great. Yeah. But, yeah, it's the public charging that then becomes more difficult. I think the first thing to remember is a lot of these cars can do 200 miles on a charge, right? And some can do 300. Now, if you think 200 miles is like driving from London to Manchester,
2: that's a long yeah, way. So, long way.
3: you know, it, that's a long way. Uh, and the chances are, even if you live somewhere rural, if, you could, if you're driving that far, you will end up passing through somewhere that that has fast chargers but yeah that that is something to consider if you have a car that 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 doesn't go as far or if or more importantly if you're driving to somewhere rural so when you get there and your battery is low so but if you're doing long journeys in electric cars it does require a bit of planning there are some really useful tools for that there's uh something called zap map which is one of the most popular ones and that gives you a map of the uk and tells you where all of the chargers are and it also tells you how fast they are. And it tells you whether they've been in use recently, whether they're currently being used. People can leave comments on there and say, this one is rubbish, it rarely works. Or they can say, there's no cover here, so if it rains, you're going to get wet. Uh, and sometimes people actually leave accessibility comments on there, which so is on quite the inter- useful.
1: I just worry about people who aren't tech savvy, internet mm. savvy. And I think we need to be very mindful that yeah. not everybody knows how to you know, be be fluent of navigating Yes. social media when my mum found out how to use emojis it was like the end of my life <laughs> as i knew it because all of a sudden it was just emojis um yeah so what about that i, I feel like mm. it might be excluding a certain demographic
3: there is yeah there is an argument about that one of the things that is going to make it easier lots more cars now are adding a feature within the sat nav mm. where if you're going on a long journey and you put in, uh, oh, I've got to go to here. The car will know if you're going to need to charge on the way and it can add a charging spot on route, oh, like which that. actually makes life a lot That's easier. Amazing. So it, it takes a bit of the thought yeah. out of it. I
0: That's just cool. had one question. You know, like with a phone, you can carry like a, mo- a charging bank with you. Is there anything yeah. like that for an electric cars? So this
3: is a question I get asked is, uh, what happens when you run out yeah. of battery, right? Um, it's very rare that will happen because the car will give you lots of warnings yeah. it's not just going to suddenly yeah, stop, stop yeah. Um, and even if you run out it, it goes into like a r- sort of limp mode okay. where you can drive really slowly and hopefully either get out of the way yes. or to safety or just get to a charger okay. but say the worst happens in that and that you don't and you're stranded the RAC now are equipped with vans for electric vehicles nice. um, and they can either A, sort of tow you somewhere but Tow you properly. Uh, or B, uh, some of them have a sort of quick charging system that can give you enough juice to say travel 10 miles, okay. so it can just get you to the nearest fast okay. charger. So yeah, that, that has been thought of. Not something you can carry around yourself because the size of the battery you'd need would be enormous and yeah. so heavy. But um, I
0: didn't know that, so that's really good. And yeah. you get the RAC membership as part Absolutely. of your worry-free package yeah. with I motability. I
3: mean, that kind of covers the, most of the common questions. The other one is, how long does it take to charge an electric car? And again, there's lots of answers to that question, but the real simple terms, and I'm going to generalise and say this is like a car with an average size battery. because you've
1: got about 30 seconds.
3: That's so it, I'm going to get cut off. Right, if you're charging from home, it probably takes about 10 hours, but... Oh, okay. You're not going to be coming home with an empty battery all the time, so that's what people need to remember most of the time you're coming home and it's still going to be mostly full. Uh, If you're charging in public, there are rapid chargers that go from anywhere from 50 to 150 to 350 kilowatts. They're ultra rapid. Um, And then it comes down to how fast your car can accept a charge. So generally Ooh. most cars, yeah, so there's sort of two things at play here. A 50 kilowatt charger will generally get you up to 80% battery in around sort of 40 to 50 minutes, which is quite good. Uh, there are some new cars that have just been added to the scheme that have something called 800 volt architecture, which means they can charge really fast. If you've got one of those and you're lucky enough to find a 350 kilowatt charger, which are still quite rare, you can be from up to 80% battery in around 18 minutes, which is wow. actually rather snappy. That is
1: snappy. Yeah. But expect us to pay a bit more. Yeah. Say a pumpkin I spice before. latte, rapid that, That's.
3: that's what I'm I think, and I think the most important thing to say as well is go and test drive one. Yes. Because if you haven't driven one, I think most people will actually prefer the way they drive yeah. to a normal car. Yeah. They're smoother, they're quicker, and they're quieter. Yeah. And and they're all automatic. Yeah. So, I think most people actually enjoy driving one. So give one a try. Check that the, your whatever adaptations you need are compatible with an ev check that a hoist will fit for example because sometimes the boots can be a little bit smaller on electric cars because of the way the batteries are positioned not always um so check that a hoist will work if you need one and those are kind of the main bits to get you going.
0: And our gadget. Have we got time oh
1: for a quick
3: gadget? Gadget, gadget. Okay. Quick gadget. It's practical today. So we've all been there. You sit in the car, your change, wallet, phone falls out your pocket, goes down the side, and it's impossible to yeah. recover, and you're never ever going to see it again. <laughs> uh, and and I, I can only imagine how difficult that is for people with like yeah. you know limited movement totally. and mobility. Um, so there is something you can get. There's, I mean, there are certain brand names, but the general term is a car seat gap filler. Very catchy ah. terminology, but it's effectively like a, uh, it's sort of made of foam and you it goes over where the seatbelt would be and it just fills that gap next to your pockets and, and between the door and between the gearstick and whatnot, so that if anything falls out, it doesn't sink into the never realm, never to be seen That's again. That's
1: amazing. That's really handy. It's not, for, <laughs> it's not for concealing anything that should not be in your car. I can imagine there might be some uh, young'uns out there. And that's
0: it for today's episode of the Motability Lifestyle Pod. Thanks to Matt, Lizzie Moore with his car chat today and our guest, Fats Timbo. Thanks to our producer, Yolaine Goffin at Rethink Audio and to our editorial assistant, Lucy Rhodes at Wonderly.
1: If you like this episode, then give us a follow, tell all your friends and please do leave a review. If you want to tell us what you thought or if there's something you'd like to hear from us, come and say a hello on Instagram for some behind the scenes content or follow us on TikTok, I'm sure Fats will be over there won't she? And watch the full video on YouTube, you can find us on Motability underscore lifestyle underscore mag. Finally, if you want more information about the Motability schemes, go to Motability.co.uk or if you want to learn more about Motability, the foundation, visit Motability.org.uk and that's it everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Samantha Rank and I'm Sophie Marie Odden. See you in December.